Welcome back to the show, Chef. This is Chef Life Radio, and my name is Adam Lamb, and I am your career coach, dedicated to supporting you on your culinary career trajectory. This episode is about something that makes people feel just a little bit uncomfortable, mental health. And as much as I'd like to add a trigger warning, I'm not gonna, because it's a topic that most of us have ignored for a long time. In one way, shape, or form, we've all been dealing with the same problem for a very, very long time. The business, by its very nature, engenders stress and emotional distress. And yet for most of us, we handle it. I'm not saying that we handle it well. For most of the time I've been in the business, it was always suck it up sunshine. I got this, chef, until you don't. And I don't know about you, but I would be a fool to think that it didn't affect me. Because it did. And it affected everyone around me. I just didn't have any tools or processes by which I could handle my emotional distress or anyone else's. Maybe you can recognize yourself in this scenario. There's someone who's breaking down in the service area, crying. Instead of going over there and talking to them or asking them what's going on, we just pivot and turn right out of there because we got other shit to deal with. And yet, it's inescapable. Everywhere we turn, people are having difficulty. It's hard to consider or remember what it was like before the pandemic and the entire world shut down. But it took something like that in order for not only us in the industry, but the entire world to understand that, yeah, there's a lot of shit going on in this industry and it is hard. And how the hell do you mitigate that so that you can actually not only be present to the stress that you might be feeling, but pivoting out to be a resource for your staff. I remember quite clearly watching a line cook struggle to get through the shift, standing up straight, putting his hands on his hip and breathing in. Really, 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 oh my God. Because 12 hours previously, I'd been sitting right next to him at the bar. I just wasn't gonna let that show up at work and show myself as being less than or, you know, afflicted by something that was, you know, perceptively within my control. So as an industry, we ignored people who had emotional distress. Either they couldn't handle it, wouldn't handle it, but we would have to make a change because we couldn't be bothered with taking the time to be human to human to figure out what was going on and what resources we had to bring to bear to give them some assistance. It took Kat Kinsman prior to the pandemic to create a website called Chefs with Issues. And holy shit, don't we? But it's not like we're the only ones. So in this episode, we get to talk about solutions to this particular problem that finally, but the pandemic changed all that. Seemingly overnight, there were organizations that were out there focused on hospitality professionals and the stress that they were being put under. The Burn Chef Project, not nine to five. I could go on and on and on, but those resources didn't exist 18 months before that. It took folks from outside the industry to point out to us just what a fucked up situation we had created. And yes, we created it because we weren't dealing with the problem. And because we weren't dealing with the problem, the problem was unknown, unmeasurable, because nobody had made it a priority to actually do any studies around it. And if you don't have any studies around it, nobody's going to give you any funding. So it took people like our guest today, Chef Patrick Mulvaney, to actually stand in his kitchen and decide that enough was enough. 
he and his wife created an amazing resource that's available to all of us now. And you're going to find out why he did it, what they did to address the problem, and to create a resource internally that would provide solutions for folks who might not necessarily be feeling it today. So I am really proud to be able to bring you this interview with Chef Patrick Mulvaney while he talks about the I Got Your Back program. And why should you listen? Because the statistics are that four out of five hospitality professionals have been affected by mental stress and disorder. That means in your kitchen right now, there's at least three or four people who are struggling and you don't even know about it because they're scared as shit to fucking show it and to talk about it. And that's not a healthy way to be because at some point, right when you need them the most, they're going to break down. Whose responsibility is that? Yours and mine. So let's find out together what's possible right after these messages. This is Chef Life Radio, and I'm your host, Chef Adam Lamb. I'm a culinary career coach dedicated to assisting hospitality professionals just like you to enjoy their careers without having to sacrifice their lives. Be sure and grab this episode's exclusive bonus content. The link is in the show notes. Now let's get to the good stuff. And we want to welcome Chef Patrick Mulvaney to the show. Chef, thanks so much for making time for us. We know how busy you are. Good morning from the beautiful but smoky West Coast. Exactly. How, how has the weather been uh, your way? It's the, it's the fires, right? The fire season is just really bad. We've had uh, three employees that uh, have been evacuated in the last week. So, Oh, my God. Yeah, it's a lot of, lot of displacement. It's a tough, tough time. And, you know, as if there's not enough stress already, you know, with kind of reopening after the pandemic. And I know just before we, uh, we went live with the recording, uh, you were mentioning that at the height of your business at Mulvaney B&L, which is funny because I was looking for the abbreviations for B&L only to find out that it's a bank and loan, right? It's the, yeah, it's the, facility the, used it's to be. the building and loan. So we took it. No. So the, actually the restaurant's in a firehouse and the, the name of the restaurant comes from the movie. It's a wonderful life where Jimmy uh, Stewart wants his whole life. He wants to get out of the small town. And then at the end, he realizes the small town is where he should be. And this is where it is a wonderful life. And he runs down the street. And yells, "Merry Christmas, you wonderful old building and loan." So I came, I came to Sacramento in the '90s for graduate school, uh, and hated graduate school, and they hated me. But I fell in love in the year that I was here with the surrounds, the surroundings, the farms, the communities. That that when I when I buy a peach, it's from Camilla, right? When you know, next week we're having dinner to celebrate the McNamara family and. Sean is bringing lambs and Emily is bringing eggs from her chicken and Craig is bringing a box of walnuts from his organic walnut farm. Right? And, and so just that, to place you for the listeners, this is in Sacramento. Yes, I'm sorry. And we're in Sacramento, California. And so when you're, you're here, right, just you're really in the middle of the richest agricultural region in the world. So as a chef, think about no finer sandbox to play in. In the 90s, that was a big question, right? Like lots of questions from back east in New York when people said, what the hell is in Sacramento other than tomatoes and uh, funny politicians? I said, no, this is, this is where it's going to be. So, that, so that's where the name came from. And uh, 
and it really has become uh, a good name, right? We're part of the community, and the community has really embraced us. Uh, Chef, you are uh, you are a romantic at heart. Yes, yes. <laughs> and the other the other truth is, my wife hated it. The idea of uh, of she said that's the worst marketing idea ever of a firehouse, a firehouse that's a restaurant naming it after a bank. And I told her that my second favorite uh, name that I had always thought about was my favorite British dessert, Spotted Dick. And so all of a sudden, B&L moved right back to the center. It's a fine name. And here we are today, 15 years later. That's fantastic. And you've had an amazing run, have you not? Yeah, we've been, we've been blessed, right? For sure. It's, it's, uh, it keeps getting, keeps getting better, right? In some ways, right? The last 18 months, notwithstanding. But I, I, I feel like we're getting we're getting more honed into it, right? I, I am, it is, we are getting better at it. It just doesn't always feel like it's getting better. Yeah, I totally get it. And and we'll get into that in a little bit, but I just wanted to quickly mention, um, I was actually con- on an interview yesterday morning and the topic of the conversation was in relationship with food. And the interviewer asked me, Kristen Costa, who happens to be, you know, one of our founding members of the, of the Chef Life Radio crew, um, thankful for her support, asked, well, what does it mean to be in relationship to food, uh, specifically around what it might look like for home cooks? And I mentioned, you know, I'm in Nashville, North Carolina, and there are so many farmers markets where you get to actually meet the producers. And like, just like you said, being in such a rich agricultural community, to me, being in relationship with food starts all, starts there. And actually creating a relationship with the people who are actually intimately involved in the grows, growing, harvesting, ranching, picking of those types of foods. And I didn't understand when I first moved here just how rich uh, a community is for food. And so would you kind of agree or extrapolate on the fact of like what it looks like for you in a very real sense of being so connected to the community that, like you said, you know, who's bringing your eggs and who's bringing your lamb and and how telling that story really impacts your business. So for me, I think it was obvious 25 years ago, right? This is where I was going to stay. And I can say, you know, while I say tongue in cheek, people asked why. Uh, the truth is that over the last 25 years, Sacramentans have come to realize that we are an agricultural city, right? That we do and now celebrate that agriculture. Farmers market seven days a week during the summer. Two weeks from now, we'll have a dinner on the Tower Bridge, which goes from the city to uh, Yolo County, which is where many of our crops come from. 800 people lined up and one big table uh, to celebrate the farmers and the farms. Uh, And to be in the center, uh, in the capital too, right? So that extends as well to the capital. Obviously, we have a governor now who's a restaurateur, but also the people in uh, food and agriculture departments and farm bureaus. As food becomes a point of pride for Sacramento, we attract more uh, attention and increase the conversation. And so the relationship for food, how to be in relationship, is no longer just a fat chef from New York coming out and and being different, right? It, it now truly is our whole community coming together to celebrate. And from that, it gives us power to drive change, right? To raise profiles of, of the workers who sometimes aren't recognized to, during the pandemic, to talk about how to feed, to drive feeding the million and a half meals that, that the restaurant community has served over the last year and a half to families and 
elders, right? That was supported in five and ten and twenty dollar donations uh, from the community of Sacramento. Sounds like a marvelous place to make your home. And so, were you from New York City proper? Uh, Queens, and I grew up on Long Island. A little bit and, of a change moving to Sacramento. Yeah. So, so it's it's a little strange. Yes, it's not everyone is Irish here, and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's awesome. And the ocean is much more narrow and goes sideways. <laughs> exactly. And they call it, they call it a river. It's no coincidence that we're having this conversation today, considering everything that's gone on over the last. 15, 16, 18 months, but I know that you've been working on this particular project longer than that. So you popped up on my radar as someone who was actually, who was taking action right where they were at with no other resources except your mind and your passion for health and wellness for hospitality associates. And so can you kind of tell me what the genesis was for the I Got Your Back program? Sure. 2018 was, uh, horrible year for restaurants in Sacramento. We lost more than 15 people to death by suicide. We started the year off with three or four, right, in the first two months and started. So we as chefs and restaurateurs and the old guard, if you will, started to, conversation started between us organically. What's our responsibility? What can we do about it? And how, how do we move forward, right? How much of this have we caused? And how are we going to be able to make it better. And because we're tied into the community, there were resources from people in the hospital world, in uh, public safety, in the government uh, came to bear to start talking about it loosely. In uh, early May, as we started talking, there was a chef, Noah Zanka, whose family lets me tell the story, who had started to disappear. And we all saw him. He had disappeared. We all saw him descending into 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 uh trouble and i'd asked his mom i sent his mom a note saying where's noah because no one had seen him in six months hoping that she would say he's with me in wisconsin in rehab he misses everybody you'll see him soon and she sent back a note that said we think he's homeless living by the river and i haven't seen him in a year and if you do see him tell him that i love him and i'll do the same Three weeks later, Noah was, in fact, at the river, and they found him. Uh, been there for a couple of weeks. No one knew. And it, it crystallized for us, like, what are we doing? Where are we going? Because, you know, in hospitality, that's our job, right? We have, we have the laugh clown laugh, right? We do the dog and pony, and so that, that shield hides much of what's behind us, and also as a chef, we hide behind being grouchy and demanding and, and running. And we were wondering how to get to the core. And so we sat down and started to talk about it. We had a meeting planned. I was getting on a plane for New York. And my wife called and said, Bourdain is dead. And he uh, spent the weekend with 15 chefs. It was the best place. But I didn't realize how much Bourdain's death affected the rest of society because he was, to me, one of us. And came home, and we had a meeting that Tuesday with uh, the heads of all four major health groups here. And they said, what are we going to do? Let's move this on. Let's have a, a meeting and talk about it and study. And one of my friends from a nonprofit said, wait a minute. Chef says that 
his world. In his world, people like to get shit done and they don't like to waste time. How soon can you have people here? So 10 days after Bourdain's death, we had 15 leading chefs and restaurateurs in our town around the table with the best minds in mental health in Sacramento, talking about what our responsibility was, which is creating an environment where it's okay not to be okay and talk to provide peer guidance and and also then to have resources available for people. Well, you know that in restaurants, as it turns out, we already have those guides, right? You have the the waitress who's a doula, the crazy bartender, the big cuddly chef, right? Who you right. will talk to already. Yeah. And and we, as with Noah's passing, everyone in our community had seen how affected we were. And so that had already been set. And then the resources came in place through the grace of people who helped us cooperate along the way. As it crystallized, there were people who came and said, here, here it is. It's going to be called I Got Your Back. And every day in the restaurant, there will be someone who's a purple hand. And uh, they will be available for consultation and guidance and listening. Uh, and, and here's how it goes. And we left though that conference, which was in Sacramento. And my wife said, this is great. But if we don't talk about this every day, it's not going to be effective. And she took an empty tea box, put four colors of construction paper on the outside, and drew faces. Happy, neutral, angry, and in the weeds. And then next to them, she put little pieces of paper. And when you punch in in the afternoon or the morning, three times a week, sometimes twice a week, you put a card in. How are you feeling today? And then when you get to the lineup, we say, okay, you know, here's the specials, here's who's coming in, and here's the temperature. Nine happy, two neutrals, one angry, but Adam's always a pissed off SOB, but there's three people who are in the weeds. What are we going to do as a team to have a successful night? If you're in the weeds, what can we do for you? And what are you going to learn from tonight to help you next time when you are not in the weeds, but someone else is? And that's it. So from a practical standpoint, if I'm hearing you correctly, the purple hand is a position that changes from person to person as long as they've been trained. Yes. And the, the training, and we're working with uh, Not 9 to 5 in Toronto and on that now on a formalized training module that's tailored specifically for hospitality. We started with mental health first aid, which is geared for um, a little more academia, right? Uh, so not not our world, but uh, has has come on. And the, the magic happens because not that anyone says anything at the lineup, but when you're pulling mats or buffing silver or uh, picking herbs, then there's an opportunity for conversation to come up. And... And it's important that it's just an opportunity. It's not a demand, right? So you can take that opportunity or not. And as we started doing it, we saw people engaging and starting to go in. So at the end of 2018, which had been tough already, in December, we lost. We had four people die by suicide in four weeks, including, again, Cassie's family lets me tell the story, a server in our restaurant. And when I brought everyone back after the Christmas break to say, Cassie is gone. And I said, what happened? And they said, well, we don't know, but we know that, that she's died. And they said, well, how did it work? And you say, 
it doesn't it doesn't matter right what matters is that she's gone and and we're sad and we want to deal with our feelings but i saw everybody else in my staff reaching out and in leaning in to each other uh you know so when i said need to take the day off go you want to go on the walk in and scream have smoke cut onions for a half an hour so no one can see you cry everything's good the important piece for me and the satisfactory piece was because we've been talking about mental health, everybody was was reaching out across each other in a web and coming to me and saying, watch out for Ivani. Noah Zonka's son was working for us. We're worried about him. This one is too, they're talking more than they used to. That one isn't talking anymore. Bus boys who are saying, I haven't seen this guy playing Call of Duty at night. On the, We're worried about him. So that everybody was automatically checking up. And that piece of it's okay not to be okay meant that everybody was talking about it, right? And what we say now, and and this has continued to go, it served us very well during the pandemic, even though it was strange to take something that happened when we were together, the, the connections and the web remain. And what we say today is, because I'm from New York and you grow up and you say, how you doing? Right. But now we've changed that to how are you doing? Comma, really? And the space between comma and really offers the opportunity to let people share with you how they're feeling. Sure. Given the fact that, you know, the gift has has to be the space, right? The willingness to actually sit back and listen instead of, you know, just kind of that false check-in because you're, you know, on the way to the box or finishing it, prepping your station and stuff. The reason I asked about the purple hand is my experience during COVID was uh, managing a hundred people in a dining department at an upscale retirement community, which was tough in a lot of ways, just because the entire operation had to change on a dime. And not only were we dealing with the stress of the residents, but we also had associates who were under an enormous amount of stress and fear because nobody wanted to take home the disease to their to their families and it fell to me to make sure that these meetings were happening every day or every other day um whether they were large stand-ups or small stand-ups to let folks know that you know compassion and grace is really important and uh nobody's that important that they have to be here if they don't need to be here et cetera, et cetera. then it's okay to be not okay but I didn't understand how much it cost me until about mid-March when I just basically, I fried, you know, and I had to basically, you know, run away and do a meditation retreat in in Florida for a week just to get my my heart back in to the operation because at that point I was, you know, my heart was shut down. I couldn't open back up. And so this idea that that responsibility of the purple hand changes from person to person, I think is really, really powerful because as, as the owner operator, did you feel like a lot of those check-ins were your responsibility to begin with? In the beginning? Yes. That idea that, that everybody in some way takes part that the sticker for, I got your back with the website is on the walk-in box with all the cheese stickers. So that you see it every day that when you punch out at the end of the night, uh, your chit has your hours and it says, are you feeling okay? Remember, if you're not, Yana, Dan, and Lisa are here for you. And then the two crisis numbers, right? Both the text and the phone number. 
that now everybody in my restaurant already has on their phones, but, but it's a reminder, right? That, that you can speak. And, and as you say, right, the, there is a different level, right? When you're in leadership, particularly when you're at the helm, right? Our job as chefs is to direct people, tell them what to do and promise meaningful employment and work and a sense of worth and it. And sometimes we let that get in the way of taking care of ourselves. And, and so what we found here was that there was kind of a, a subset of those of us who were owner operators, right? And, and chefs in front of our helm, just like you said, what do you do? How do you face the fear that you feel yourself while still being able to talk to your troops? And so uh, that for me was the, the support that my peers have offered, right? The, is, has been really tremendous. So does that take a different, the, the support that you're getting from your peers, does that effectively, is that different than I've got your back or does it follow a similar pattern? So it is, I got your back, but it's, but it's someone who has, um, a shared experience with you. Yeah. We talk about it in the kitchen. Everyone who works for me can talk about being a dishwasher because we, we've all done it and brag about how to be a dishwasher. And then you become a pantry chef and you can talk about the things that you learned there, but you're not in the club that includes the people who are on saute or grill on the hotline. Right. And then those people, like your hot, badass cooks are good. But they're not sous chefs, right? And they don't they don't know those problems and those headaches. And and the sous chef has a lot of problems and headaches, but he doesn't have the ones of the chef, so he can't be in that club. And so so that idea that those of us who are in the the top rungs of the club could actually speak to each other uh, in a way that the others would understand was important. And and it comes down to being vulnerable. Right. And and being able to share more important than being able to share is being able to accept. Right. To have that grace, to be able to accept the love and help that people want to offer to you. And then to go back to your your restaurant, to your kitchen and realize that the people who are working for you are trying to do just that. And sometimes you have to take away. You have to let your facade fall to let that love in that's a very very powerful comment and the fact that you're looking to your peers to do that as opposed to muddying the waters by looking to anybody else i mean even from your wife or you know sous chefs or anything like that because they don't have that same shared experience um, in previous conversations and in learning more about the program one of the things that i understood is that we're not healthcare professionals so while we may lead conversations or look for openings to have conversations, it's really important to understand that we're not actually trained to deal with these particular issues. But I think you were the one that told me that it's really, really important that we can direct people to resources. And that's the, the third piece is the resources. And you're right. We say it all the time, right? I'm here to listen. I'm here to get you to help. I'm here to do what I can, but I'm not there. So when I say that everyone in the restaurant has on their phone the crisis numbers, we do. And what happens is I'll go in the back, say you're, you're out having a smoke by the, by the garbage cans. And I say, Hey, Adam, you don't look good today. Yeah. I'm having, you know, you're not performing well. I said, 
you having trouble? And if you say, yep, you know what I am, I have a little tough time. I said, I can't help you. I, I, I can't help you, but I, I'm not a professional and I won't be with you forever. Here, give me your phone. And then type in, if you're young, I type the text line. If you're old like us, I type the phone number and say, hey, do you, do you want to talk to these people? Because they're, they're the ones that will get you resources and non-judgmental and they're going to help you. Would you like to talk to them? And sometimes they want to try it. And I said, you can, you can do a practice round. And if they say no, I said, do you mind if I, you want to see what it looks like? Right, I'll call them. And then I'll just press the buttons and boom, they come on. Call 911 if it's an emergency. Nope. And 30 seconds later, hey, who am I talking to? Hi, this is Patrick. I'm here with a buddy who might not, who might want some help someday, isn't sure about how it works. Do you mind if we go on speaker and have a dry run? Not at all. How are you feeling today, Patrick? Are you safe? Are you healthy? What's your challenge? Here's my challenges. I don't know where to go or what to do. Here are some places I would recommend. Okay, cool. Thanks very much. Good. Click. Hang up. Give them the phone back and say, you have this number in your phone. Save it. Call it pizza. Call it chef life. Call it whatever you want because I'm not going to be with you all the time. But now I know that you have a resource with you in your pocket 24-7. Uh, that's so powerful for me because I'm a huge proponent of modeling and role play as an effective way of training and mentoring. Like sometimes there's no situations that are, that there's absolutely no other call except to show somebody what this might look like, especially in a difficult situation where they're really kind of put back on their heels in a safe environment so that they know what to do as opposed to, you know, letting their emotion run away with themselves at the, at the moment and maybe end up getting fired because they said the wrong thing to the wrong person. But this idea that you could actually pick up the phone, dial the number and just kind of walk through the process with them. And now it's in their phone permanent, well, semi-permanently, I guess you would say. Which two crisis numbers do your staff have? Text line 741741. And you text hope or help or you can text pretty much any word. And they'll get back to you. And then the uh, crisis line. And let me make sure that I don't mess this up. I don't mean to put up. you on the spot. Nope. No, no. Because I usually remember it, but I don't want to say it wrong. Okay. And I actually do have it on a suicide prevention. 1-800-273-8255. 1-800-273-8255. And 741-741. Anywhere in America, you can text and the same thing happens that happens on the phone. Boom. Hi, this is Doris. Who am I talking to? And you can just you can just punch it in. And I think the 741741 number is, if I'm not uh, mistaken, is from our friends from across the pond at the Burnt Chef Project, correct? Yes, that's where it started. Yep. Chris Hall, way to go, man. And notwithstanding the pain of the loss that, you know, the entire community just, you know, had to go through losing these people. How has the implementation of this particular program, like what evidence are you seeing that it's actually working? So, so after that year, so people started in our restaurant. So we expanded what we were doing at, at the BNL to another 15 restaurants in Sacramento. Um, the people who are in mental health for a profession have said the program has changed the way we speak about mental health in Sacramento widely for me most important is that people talk about mental health people say i can't come to work because i'm too stressed 
people say, I'm concerned about you because you're dancing with the devil too much. And not only just in our restaurant, but everywhere. And so the conversations that used to be flip and covered right behind our glass wall, now, at least in our world of, of the restaurant, those conversations are different. And those conversations have changed. And people, other people have taken action too, right? There's now an organization that's been tilted up that has group. They've been Zoom for the last year and a half, but now they're going back to in-person group therapy sessions with a licensed social worker for regular restaurant workers, females, uh, Hispanics, LGBT for 10 sessions for $10 a session. And then a referral on a rolling scale to private therapy sessions for those who need further help. Everybody now knows when this began, my phone lit up all the time to say, chef, got someone in crisis. What do we do? All right, let's walk through it. Now there's a website. Now they know, okay, here's where we're going. Here's what we're doing. Get them to this person. I feel badly for Umberto is the chief psychiatrist at Kaiser Permanente here, and he was dumb enough to give me his cell phone. And so there was a lot of text like, all right, Umberto, I need some help. Where are we going? But now, because it's because it's a topic of a conversation, right? Really, a lot of it is just taking away the shame, right? And saying, this is this is who we are, and these are the challenges we face, and let's step up to it. So really, when we talk about, you know, the 12 steps, one of the, one of the important pieces that we take is that if this is true, it's okay to say, hi, my name is Patrick and I'm an alcoholic. It's okay to say, hi, my name is Patrick and I'm having a challenge with mental health issues. Well, thanks, man. I mean, I feel blessed because I, I, I feel like uh, you and I are old friends for some reason, <laughs> but uh, we, I literally could spend hours talking to you and uh, I reserve the right to, you know, come and hang out. Uh, when we're in Sacramento next. Absolutely. We look forward to you. We have a guest house out back here. And, you know, we are compatriots, right? Because we both live in places that have Sierra Nevada breweries. Exactly. You know how <laughs> right that is. And God, man, there's, if there's a nut, if one more brewery opens up in Asheville, I mean, I don't know what they're going to do for water, but I thank you for your time. Uh, I thank you for all your efforts. I thank you for your stand in the world. You and I will be speaking hopefully often because I got a lot to learn from you. And, um, to pick your brain about how we can start moving some of this to North Carolina because there's a need everywhere. And the more of us that are showing up, the easier it is to, uh, to get going. And the, and the truth is that, that a lot of this we're uh, Dumbo, right? We're the feather in Dumbo's hat, right? The truth is that you have it inside yourself all the time. And all you need to do is believe in yourself. That's it for this episode of Chef Life Radio. If you enjoyed the episode and you want to hear more, then you want to grab the link to the exclusive bonus content we recorded, and the link is in the show notes. Here at Chef Life Radio, we believe that working in a kitchen should be demanding. It just shouldn't have to be demeaning. It should be hard. It just doesn't have to be harsh. We believe that it's possible to have more solidarity and less suck-it-up sunshine, more compassion, less cutthroat island, we believe in more partnership and less put up or shut up, more family and less fuck you. Stand tall and frosty brothers and sisters, but consider for a moment, 
For all the blood, sweat, and effort you put into what you do, at the end of the day, it's just some stuff on a plate. None of it really matters. It doesn't define you as a person or make you any more special or less than anyone else. It's just a dance that we're engaged in, so we might as well laugh and enjoy every bit of it. Or didn't you know that the purpose of your life should be to enjoy it? Like it, happy. I love it. I am humble. Goddamn glory box that I don't live on now. <laughs> Reach out to the show at facebook.com forward slash Chef Life Radio, Twitter at Chef Life Radio, Instagram at Chef Life Radio. Visit the website at chefliferadio.com. Subscribe to the podcast at any of the major podcast directories. Please take a moment and give us a thumbs up and write a review. It really does help spread the news. Thanks for listening. Until the next episode, be well and do good. This episode was produced by me, Adam Lamb. It was recorded in the Basement Bunker Studio in Bardo, North Carolina. Co-produced by Thomas Stephenson of podlike.com. Chef Life Radio is a production of Realignment Media.